Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with B. A is not going to be a part of the equation today because I didn't go to practice. Bill was one of 14 media members at at the latest spring practice for Ohio State. So uh, take the A out of the equation and let's just hear a lot of what B has to say. Uh, Bill, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. First time, long time. Yeah. uh, Everybody here's uh, for you, so it doesn't really matter. No, Um, man. The A A is still part of the show. Yeah. The A A will always be part of the show. Obligatory A will be the interviewer. I'm going to act like the crazy fan who wants to know everything, and then you're going to explain everything that happened at practice. Then we'll break it down, and then I think we'll talk about what we're most excited to see in the spring game. Does that sound like a good plan? That sounds great. Um, That's your plan. So That's what I've been doing all week. You give me ideas, I do them, right? That's right. I'm excited uh, to read the story you got coming on the kid from Iowa. Yeah. uh, Bill went to the uh, Under Armour camp in the Columbus area this week and saw a lot of prospects, a few Ohio State's recruiting, a few Ohio State's not, and Bill sends me text messages of interesting story angles, and I pursue them and put them on the internet and get all the credit. Is that how it works? That's right. Yeah, that was... uh, Those those setups are weird for us because, like, there's no real value in us and when i say us i mean like writers from the athletic posting interviews that 15 other websites have um so i like i don't have a lot of that stuff but like just like getting eyes on some of ohio state's top prospects um that were there was was worthwhile um there were quite a few too cj hicks is super impressive so you know I think honestly, the, the the guy who I was watching, who might be one of like the most impressive high school prospects I've seen in like my time watching high school prospects, is Sonny Styles, Lorenzo Styles' younger brother. He's a mm-hmm. 20, 2023. I mean, I would call him an athlete, but like he's six five. He's super long. He runs like um, a, a wide receiver. He was playing defensive back. He was like playing some safety. I don't know what he's going to be at Ohio State. Um, I just know that he's one of like the most uh, blessed athletes I think I've seen um, come out of an Ohio high school did you program just, in a did while. Did you just uh, automatically assume that he's going to go there? I mean, I think I'd be surprised if he's not going to go to Ohio State. Um, I said, like, his brother goes to Notre Dame, so I, I wouldn't write that off. But um, my, my anticipation is that he goes to Ohio State and could play one of, like, nine positions at Ohio, at Ohio State when he gets here. But he was, uh, yeah, he was fun to watch. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to see what co- becomes of Lorenzo Styles because he just – was born in the wrong year uh, he was a top 120 player I think if I remember correctly at wide receiver um, at Pickerington Central and then now had no spot because Ohio State decided to sign nine five-star prospects from all over the country and sometimes uh, kids in Ohio get squeezed out for national talent which I think Bill's going to probably explore a little bit more here in the next few months um, but yeah, I mean there's a lot of, of up-and-coming talent in the state of Ohio and Bill's gotten a front row seat of that this week but um he's also had a front row seat at ohio state's football practices and um obviously everybody's on the edge of their seat with with what's going to happen at the quarterback position and um 
rightfully so, because Ohio State hasn't been in this position for a long time. So as the uh, practice continues to move forward, uh, it seems like this was the Jack Miller practice. Tell me a little bit about what you saw at the at the latest opening that you had. Yeah, I, I was. I think the the last time we went to watch, and then we talked about it afterward. Um, I think I said something along the lines of like Jack Miller looked hesitant to me, and you know it's it's a small window, so you don't want to make too much of, of any of it. But um, I thought he looked much more comfortable in in this period we got to watch, and it was interesting because as we've said before, whenever they do individual stuff, C.J. Stroud is first, and and I think that is going to remain an important piece of information, uh, and and I think what leads everyone to believe that ultimately C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback in the fall but during this practice we went to a monday morning they did a red zone passing period on the opposite opposite end of the field from us we still had a pretty good vantage point and uh jack miller went first and i don't know if that was just random if that was reward for perhaps jack performing well um in the scrimmage that that happened over the weekend uh, or, or what but he got to go first and I, and I thought he looked pretty good there was like one play i thought where he held on the ball and and ryan day looked a little frustrated by it there was another instance where they were doing a tempo drill and something was off. I don't know if it was off with Jack or, or somebody else um, in, in the offensive huddle, but Ryan Day seemed frustrated by that too. But just from a pure throwing standpoint and just sort of looking comfortable within the offense and running things, I, I thought Jack Miller looked pretty good in, in the six periods that we got to watch on Monday. And, and frankly, um, C.J. Stroud like looked okay. I, I don't think he he didn't like blow the doors off anybody. Kyle McCord threw a couple of nice deep balls. He also threw an interception. I think on the whole, for in the hour or so that we got to watch, I thought Jack Miller was the most impressive of the three. Um, doesn't mean much, but but it was a, it was a reminder to me at least that you know we, we all assume that CJ Stroud is going to be the guy, and I think that's a safe bet. But this thing is far from from over and far from settled, and we're not going to get any clarity, I think, on this until August. So it was a good reminder of that, and also a good reminder that you know when we saw Jack Miller have maybe not a great day the last time, he had a pretty good day this time, and it was a reminder that he's a good player. Yeah, it's just a nice reminder, too, that you don't win the job in one practice. Yeah, and, which is you know, what Ryan Day keeps saying over and over again. Oh, yeah, and, and the whole idea um, of of trying to figure out who it's going to be in the spring, I think, is more so. This is the pre- preliminary part, right, where, where you kind of go through and you know see throughout the, the course of uh, three weeks of the entire body of work from these guys, and then I think you go into the summer feeling a certain way about these guys, then you go into the fall, and that's when you really start to make decisions. I think that's the best plan of action when you're dealing with a competition with no experienced participants, but also the plan of action when you don't want your entire roster to fall apart by you know coming up too early with an answer. So Yeah, um, I think like uh, the... I had to keep reminding myself and I guess in turn like remind Ohio State fans and, and the people who read our work at The Athletic that the, the most important thing for Ryan Day this spring is not really to find a starting quarterback. It's to make sure that all three guys are still on the roster in August. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's crazy out there. And we're kind of on the verge right now of the one-time transfer rule passing. I don't know when that's going to take into effect. Uh, I don't know that it'll have an impact immediately. But, you know, this is something that has to be considered a reality for this team. And as much as Quinn Ewers is going to come and, and make this all pretty uncomfortable again a year from now, I think we all know that uh, going into this whole thing that we are going to be having podcasts in August about this and we're not going to be sure who the quarterback is in August. And if you thought it was going to turn out otherwise, then I think you're kind of living in fantasy land. And I think it's kind of a good position. I don't know how you feel about this, but kind of having an inkling of who it's probably going to be is a good thing but also making him work for it is also a good thing. I mean, what do you think of the position that they're in right now from that standpoint? Is this like, in a world where we've seen Ohio State coaches mess up a quarterback competition so badly that it, like, torpedoed one of the most talented teams in Ohio State football history, like, how does it, how is the feel of it right now? Does it feel like things are going in the right direction? Do you like how they're handling it? I'm asking a question that's lasting too long. Why don't you just talk? No, no, I I, I think it's a good question, and... I, I do – I mean, from what we, we've not seen how they're handling it all the time. All we know is what we've seen in three practices and, and what Ryan Day tells us. And, and it does sound like they're balancing things pretty well. And from what we see, it seems like they're balancing things reasonably well. I, I do think there there is a – in the periods we've gotten to watch, I think there's a noticeable difference in the work that C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller get compared to the work that Kyle McCord gets. But that's also not surprising because those two guys have been here for a year and Kyle McCord – is a true freshman. But in terms of the situation, I I think it's about as good as it can be. Now, if C.J. Stroud was just blowing the doors off everybody and he was awesome and there was no doubt about it, he's a starting quarterback, no questions asked, 
let's fast forward to, to August and get this thing going. Like that's not a bad situation, obviously, because you know you have a great quarterback or, or, or a kid you, you think is going to be a great quarterback. Um, and and I don't think C.J. Stroud has done anything this spring to give pause to anybody, but but I do think what's happened is that the, the two guys who were competing with him are, are good enough to still create a little bit of that doubt to kind of push him a little bit. Um, it's not so obvious maybe that he's the, the runaway favorite best guy going to win the job absolutely 100%. And I think that's a good position for Ohio State to be in. One, one I think it helps you keep the room intact um, because I think all those guys have a, a reasonable chance of winning and and like a realistic reason to think they have a chance of winning. Um, and in the meantime, like C.J. Stroud is still kind of on the trajectory that, that we thought he was going to be on. So the end result of that is you're, you're probably going to get a kid who's – Ready to step into that limelight? Who's who's super talented and like in an interesting spot in his development too? Because we we all know how much he took off at the end of his high school career, and he's just kind of building on top of that. It's not like he's he wasn't like a ready-made prospect for four years in high school who's just like chomping at the bit to get his time. Like there's some interesting development happening with happening with him, and he's his stock is kind of skyrocketing a little bit, which I think is a good place to be in. And then. On top of that, you have two viable backup options behind him who are going to push him and, and in turn also give you guys that you are confident in playing if it ever came to that. The end result of what you want is a quarterback to go out and win the job, though. You don't want Ryan Day to be in a position at the end of this having to think which one do we think is the best. I think you want that to be clear. And I think the earlier that's clear, it's probably better for the team, right? But on the other hand, you also have a delicate situation with the roster. So it's kind of like if you had to outline the perfect way that this quarterback battle will manifest if everything breaks in Ohio State's favor, like what would that look like to you? And then I'll tell you what it would look like for me. Uh, what it would look like to me is um, I think kind of what I said, you know, that that Jack Miller and Kyle McCord like legitimately push C.J. Stroud. It's not like manufactured competition just for the sake of competition. Like they are doing enough to – Plant a seed of doubt in C.J. Stroud's head to like to to pique the interest of the coaching staff and make them think like you know what if we had to play these guys I think we'd be okay, um, but in like in in conjunction with that C.J. Stroud is everything we thought he was so like like he it is it is a true competition with three supremely talented players who could get Ohio State to the Big Ten title game in the college football playoff next year if no matter who started. Um, and C.J. Stroud like truly legitimately beats them and and kind of rises above what is a, a super talented room. Yeah, I think that you you probably want to identify that person midway through fall camp, right? You don't want people to not know the week of the game, do you? I think you want a close competition now where all three, or at least Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud get, you know, 80% of the reps in, with the first team, and then, you know, McCord gets his being a newcomer. You got real non-manufactured competition in the spring. You have an entertaining spring game. You go into the fall feeling good about all three, then C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller, depending on which one blows up, blows up early on in the fall, wins that job completely by halfway through camp, and you go into the first week with the entire team understanding who the quarterback is, but the uh, the entire team also having an understanding that all three of them are a major part of the team. Bring up the 2014 ending as much as you need to. All three of them are going to play. All three of them are going to be needed, but the quarterback of the team is identified through superior play that everybody in practice can see. Because the last thing you want, too, is that whoever wins the job wins it by default, and you have mixed feelings amongst the roster of who should be the quarterback. And I know that's happened at Ohio State in the past. It happened, I think, when Todd Beckman and Terrell Pryor were going, but way back in the day. Uh, you know, after that happened, I think there was some disagreement amongst the roster of who should be the quarterback of the the senior who led them to the national championship game the year before or the hot shot five-star quarterback you know and that's a completely different scenario because I think seniority makes things a little bit more murky when it comes to identifying a quarterback when you're picking between three that are all without a completed or an attempted pass in the college level then I, I think that kind of eliminates that but you want whoever wins this job to go out and take it. You don't want to give it to anybody by default. Yeah, and, and I think you do run the risk of – because I think this happened a little bit in 2015 too. Like this might be too strong of a way of putting it, but like factions forming within your roster, like a group that thinks that 
in that case, Cardale should be the guy, a group that thinks JT should be the guy. And that was like super complicated because of the national championship and, and JT's injury. But I think you run the risk of that happening when two guys like just stay neck and neck the entire time. Um, and I suppose on one hand, you could argue that that's good because it, it brings out the best in, in each player. But if at the end of the day, you truly can't make a determination on who's better, um, that, that, that gets a little tricky for your team. So yeah, you want, you want someone to, you know, they don't, they don't have to run away with the job, but I think it needs to be clear to everyone, you know, Ryan Day down on through everyone on the roster, everyone on the staff that like whoever the guy is, like is the guy. And, and he's clearly, even if everyone's great, this guy is, is, has found a way to, to show that he's a step ahead of, of everyone else in that room. Yeah. And you don't want anybody to wonder in the middle of a game who should be out there. Well, yeah. I got asked that question too. Um, in a mailbag I wrote last week, I think some someone asked, like, "Do you see the quarterback competition playing out like into the season in, in the sense that you know maybe C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller or whatever you can put Kyle McCord in that mix too? Like two two guys are kind of both playing, and I don't know if like if, if it's a rotation or you know I, I, it sounds terrible, but you're like one guy plays first quarter, one guy plays the second quarter. Like I don't that's happened in the past. It's not really happened here. I don't think at least not since I've been covering the team." Um, Although I guess it happened a little bit in 15. Um, that seems troublesome to me, but I guess it's not unheard of. But I also don't think Ohio State's schedule really sets up for them to do that I was going to say, year. the Oregon game kind of removes that from possibility, right? Well, they open with Minnesota, too. It's like, yeah. like Minnesota's no world beater, but they're not playing you know, Akron in the first week. If they were playing Akron in the first week, maybe. I could see that. Um, yeah. If there was like a, a buildup to Oregon, but there's really not because you're playing at Minnesota on a Thursday night. And Early and spread of that game is 12. Who you got? 12. Mm, I mean Ohio State. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State beats them like sixty-three to three, but I would take anything within two touchdowns for sure. Yeah, just thought that was interesting. I love. Is that real? Is that the real opening? Yeah, somebody twelve. I follow a lot of people in gambling Twitter, and somebody DM me asking me about uh, what I would think of the Ohio State minus twelve line. So that's from what I understand is is the case, and I think it's kind of a tricky line because. You put yourself in a position where you have to like envision a new quarterback playing on the road in Minnesota on a was it a Friday night? Was it Thursday, Thursday night. night? Yeah. So you know it could be a tricky game in Minnesota. You know had a pretty off year last year during a pandemic, but the year before they were pretty good. And it's kind yeah. of how much do you put stock into the weird year that we had last year, and how much can Minnesota? I mean, that's the number one question about that entire program. So um i don't know you know you never know what you're going to get and ohio state has been prone at times to having bad outings in the in the opener because it's college football and they're kids but i think i would lay the 12 too and i'm so happy we're talking about football gambling on april 13th um can't get enough of it looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I also saw that that Nick Petit Freire was out. Uh, what did that do to the offensive line? And you know, as Ohio State continues to you know try to figure itself its identity out um, on the offensive line, like how much do you you know think that that impacts the quarterback too? I mean, this is kind of an interesting dynamic moving Paris Johnson inside, and yeah, your interesting question about the uh, NFL ramifications of that and not being able to play tackle in a second year the way he probably envisioned coming back as Thayer Munford wasn't supposed to be here. There's a lot happening on this team, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not just there is the a quarterback lot, yeah. is kind of out in the out in the forefront of it, obviously, because quarterback is the most interesting thing. But I think the entire Paris Johnson move is like worth discussing by itself for 15 minutes. 
It is. I, I, I find it fascinating. And, and it, Nick Petit it was out on Monday when we were watching. Ryan Day was uh, said it was a short-term uh, thing. And I believe uh, Ryan Day did not say it was an illness, but I believe Tim May might have reported that, that he is out with an illness. So there's like something going around. It's not non-COVID-related illness. Like Chris Olave was out for a few practices too, but he was back on Monday when we watched. So that's why Nick Petit was out apparently. Um, I don't know what that means for him in the spring game, but he wasn't there on Monday. And, and like, you know, if I would have said to you like – Nick Petit's out. They need a new right tackle. I don't know. Would you assume that like Paris Johnson would kick out and play tackle? Because that's, that's what I would. Assume. I think that's what I. That's what I would think. That's not what they were doing. Um, Dewan Jones was with the first team playing right tackle, and, and Paris Johnson stayed at right guard. Now, well, if you know that Paris Johnson's going to be a right. guard, I'll, I, go ahead. I'll let you do. Yeah, it. no, I think that, I think that's right. Like if 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 Paris Johnson's going to be your starting right guard, then it just makes sense for him to get as many right guard reps as, as humanly possible. So, I guess it's not that crazy that that he's playing there, but. It is an interesting dynamic with him and um, our, our our main man, Doug Maurice asked when we talked with offensive linemen two weeks ago, yes, Greg's do draw about the idea of like possibly playing Nick Petit or Thayer Munford inside to put Paris Johnson on, on the path to being a two-year starter at tackle before he goes to the NFL. And um, I think it, like that idea sort of makes sense, but what but, but, Greg Sudrawa said is, you know, you have a, a young quarterback and you want to give him the best protection possible and giving him the best protection possible means playing both your returning starters at tackle at tackle. And one of them was going to be a four year starter. One of them was going to be a two year starter. Um, they were two of the best tackles in the country last year, particularly in pass protection. Um, so wh- while Parrish Johnson is in a position that he did not expect himself to be in, I think like having listened to Greg Stoudraw explain it that way, it, it probably makes the most sense for Ohio State, especially when you're trying to protect the first year starter or quarterback. What's the argument to switch it? Like, what, um, what is the reason for putting Paris out there in one of the legit tackles that they've already have returning inside? Like, why would you do that? Well, I think there's two things up. Like, it's it's do right by the team and also do right by the players. And I think if you said in the NFL. Either Thayer Munford or Nick Petit Frere are going to be guards in the NFL and not tackle. I don't think that's absurd. Um, and I think there's also to some rejigger value. your entire offensive line based on what they project in the NFL. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like to, you're you're helping guys try. Like that's one of the reasons I go to Ohio State is I get to the NFL and, and put themselves in the best position to be drafted and, and maximize their value in the eyes of the NFL. Um, and obviously tackles make more money than, than guards. They get drafted earlier than guards. But if you're not going to be a tackle in the NFL, there could be value for you in, in, in putting out good guard tape too. I think that's the only argument. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I feel Thayer Munford or Nick Petit are going to be guards in the NFL. I think they're both probably going to be tackles. They might both be right tackles. Um, but I do think they're tackles and not guards. So you're trying to balance like what's best for those two guys, what's best for Paris Johnson, what's best for the team. And, and I think when you – try to put all those balls in the air. I think, I think the end result is, is right. Well, what they have going on here with Paris playing guard, but you know, if they wanted to play him outside and kick one of those guys inside, I still think they'd have a great offensive line. Yeah. I, 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 I love the idea that you want to put your players in the best position to achieve their NFL dreams and to, you know, put stuff on tape. That's going to help them get drafted and play in their future positions. But let me ask you this flat out. Do you think Paris Johnson jr. Is a better tackle than Thayer Munford right now? No, I haven't seen enough to say that. The thing that's interesting with Parrish Johnson, and this is going to come off as like disparaging, and I don't mean it to, but like his name gets thrown around with Orlando Paces, and outside of them both being five-star tackles from Ohio, I'm not entirely sure why, because like Nick Petit was a higher-rated recruit than Parrish Johnson. Why don't we talk about Parrish Johnson and Orlando Pace? It's just like we. I don't think Paris we should talk about Orlando Pace with anybody until right. Like, I, yeah, I no, mean, like, I agree like, hundred. I, I agree hundred percent. So like, there's just like. There's this like mythology around Paris Johnson that um, I'm not entirely sure why, other than we just do this with every five star prospect. But this seems like to another level. Um, this is the first time in my time covering college football that a highly rated recruit. It has been suggested that a highly rated recruit take the spot of a returning starter that is amongst the best at their position in college football for the sake of NFL draft numbers. Like, I mean, cause they are Munford and Nick Petit Friere are both top five tackles in America, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think the, the, the fan perspective on that, I think is not so much about Parrish Johnson's draft stock as it is like keeping him happy and keeping him around. 
it's like Paris Johnson committed and signed with Ohio State thinking that in his second year, Thayer Munford would be in the NFL, which is a reasonable thought, and that he would be the starting left tackle. And now Thayer's back because of a weird COVID year, and Paris has to play guard. And it, if he were upset about that and thought to himself, like, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where I can play tackle right now, um, wouldn't be um, at like out-of-this-world thought process for him because a lot of guys do that. So I think that's where the the – I don't know if fear is the right word, but I think that's how fans are viewing it. They just want to make sure like Paris is happy <laughs> and, not, and not looking for a way out. And, and I think he, he, I think he understands it. He's pretty mature about it. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I, I, he's a really good high school prospect. He was a, he was a tremendous high school prospect. One of the, one of the best that I've watched and I don't have, um, you know, I don't have the keenest eye for that. I'm not pretending I'm a scout, but we're also making a lot of assumptions that he's definitely three and done when like, that's not super common for offensive linemen. So I, I wonder I how many lot- tackles have gone to the league after one year starting in the at left tackle in high in college. I think not a lot. Um, and I've been meaning to look that up and I I think that number is low. And I think the number of guys who like played guard and then played tackle for one year and then became first round tackles is pretty low too. But again, that's all, that's all assuming that, Paris Johnson is definitely leaving after his third year. And if Paris Johnson was a one-year starter guard and a two-year starter tackle and was here all four years, like that would make total sense to me because that's typically what offensive linemen do, even when they're highly touted five-star offensive linemen because that's the way it goes on the offensive line. So, um, Just the physicality this, of the position, it makes it harder to move up levels. Yeah, and the, and the development that it takes. Like, every, like, it's, it's exceedingly rare for an offensive lineman to come in to be as dominant in high school be, be as dominant in college as they were in high school immediately. It's not to say, like, guys start as freshmen, for sure. That happens. It happened with Michael Jordan. Yeah, but he's like, not going to be pancaking people and dancing right. over them his freshman year. Right, yeah. right. Um, and, like, maybe he'll be that this year. Um, I I would I think it's a safe bet that he'll be that next year by, by that point in his development. But to assume that anyone would be that right away showing up is, like, kind of asinine in my mind. So it, it's not the plan that Paris Johnson had in mind. It's not the plan that I had that I envisioned for Paris Johnson either. But I don't think it's a bad plan, and I also think there's like a somewhat reasonable chance that he's here for four years and he'll still start for two years of tackle. Is there – I think that the easy thing to say, because I listened to the interview, was that this is going to help him show that he's versatile. Mm-hmm. Right. But I kind of think that's bullshit. Yeah, I think that's uh, – I mean, I it's think like, that stuff that coaches tell you is valuable, which like is kind of valuable, but not as valuable as they say it is. It's good that he has the attitude and understanding that he can still develop into an NFL lineman and do what he's got to do. And I'm assuming it can't hurt, but developing at the position you're going to get drafted at for more than one year is better than doing it for half and half, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know that Paris Johnson needs to put on tape that he plays really good guard because if he accomplishes what he set out to accomplish, like his guard tape is going to be completely irrelevant, right? Or my yeah, I mean, are there benefits to playing guard that help you be a tackle? I, I think it depends. Like in Paris Johnson's case, if you think Paris Johnson's going to be a first round tackle, then uh, then I'm not sure it matters all that much. If he was more like a second or third round guy who showed a lot of positional versatility in college, I think that would bump his stock up a little bit to help him get drafted higher, maybe than he would be otherwise. Um, but if we if he's a franchise left tackle like we all think he's going to be eventually, then then I'm not sure how much that matters. It's great for Ohio State if you have a, if you have tackles that can play guard and guard that can play tackle and, and do so comfortably without really skipping a beat. Your offensive line's in great shape, and, and Ohio State has a lot of that going on right now. And I'm, I'm I'm writing about that later this week about how that room's been rebuilt in short order and some of the recruiting and developing they're doing there to put them in, in that position. So it's awesome for Ohio State. I, I'm not sure it matters all that much for Parrish Johnson's NFL stock because I think we all assume he's going to be a franchise first-round left tackle. But Ohio State's in a good position, I guess, when if you're listening yeah. to this podcast, it's really what you care about the most. And right. you know, having a guy who can – I mean, the thing that is exceedingly interesting about – Paris's, Paris Johnson's high school tape is how athletic he looks playing the position. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times you look at um, offensive linemen and just think, who's the big brute that can knock people over? And But he was like exceedingly athletic. Great and feet, I wonder yeah. how that can translate into being like a – like if you're like a really good left tackle, does that mean you're automatically going to be um, a badass guard? Or like you see what I'm no, saying? Like no, it doesn't. I don't. I, I think 
it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't preclude you from being a badass car, but 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 I don't think it's a it's a it's not anywhere near a one to one comparison. It's like totally. It's two different existences. Playing tackle on an island, playing a lot in space, um, having more time to react to the guy that you're blocking, oftentimes, um, and it can be. I mean, there's a lot of power and physicality involved in it, obviously, but I guess there could be less so than than playing inside a guard where the guy is lined up right over you. He's on you quicker. Um, the movements are different, um, especially the power, like Paris is playing right right guard right now, um, and the steps are different, obviously, on the right side as, as compared to the left side. So um, it's I, from everything we've heard and and seen in the little bit that he played last year, he's he handled the transition pretty well. But that's because he's a special athlete. I don't think that's true for for everybody who does that. Yeah, uh, it's just like such a. I, I, it's just such a unique situation, Bill, because I can't remember anything like it in the last ten years. Is there anything comparable to this? Has there mm. been has there been anybody so good as a recruit at any position where they've come in and made it a discussion about whether or not they could take a top five player in college football's position at the same position? Does that make sense? I, I can't. Think yeah, of yeah, I know what you're saying. Who, yeah, um. Which hotshot freshman sophomore took the spot from a first round potential draft pick? Or at least had a discussion about it. it it's not happening now because Thayer and uh, Nick are staying in their positions. But like the fact that this is a discussion, I don't know that. That's I think ever it's a happened. discussion, and I think I think you could find people who 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 would say that that should be the case. That Paris should be a tackle. One of those guys should move inside. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's happened. I'm trying to think like. When Joey Bosa showed up, I don't. I, I wasn't on. I wasn't covering the team in 2013. But like he showed up and like Noah Spence was here. I don't like who was the other starting end. I can't remember. Simon was gone, right? Yeah. Simon was was only on a twelve team. But like if it happened, I think it would have happened at those positions. Yeah, like, like what, trying to make me think about who was where in two thousand. What was it? Thirteen. Thirteen. When yeah. Joey showed up. Come on. But yeah, no. I, I mean, maybe it's happened, but it just seems like a very unique position, and I think it it, it speaks to. Um, how good Paris Johnson is. So, you know, we'll see how his career plays out. I think the idea is that he's three and done. Um, if he's as athletic and, uh, you know, gifted as he's supposed to be, then, you know, I'm assuming that he'll be done in three. But, you know, I guess like Doug LaMaurice, who asked the question, loves to say, time will tell, right? <laughs> time will tell, yeah. There's some um, other interesting stuff happening on the offensive line. Because, like, we only really have word of mouth to base this on, but it does seem like Josh Fryer is like legitimately turning heads and like has has blossomed into a guy that if they needed him to could start this year. And he's taking it seems like he's taking advantage of the fact that Harry Miller is out. And it also seems like Luke Whipler is taking advantage of the fact that Harry Miller is out. Like Luke Whipler, when we watched on Monday, was running with the ones at center. Matthew Jones was was with the twos. And Matthew Jones is the guy who started a couple of games last year. I thought played fairly well in those games and, and I think anyone would pencil him in as a starter whether that's a tackle or, or or sorry at guard or center this year and I'm wondering like is there a, is there a world where the guys who are playing right now just like gels so much that like Harry Miller to really no fault of his own only because he was hurt and wasn't available this spring like isn't a starter next year yeah <laughs> like, I don't know man you're uh you know that 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 meme of the guy's head exploding like that's uh you know i don't know uh well because like whipler is no slouch himself he was like the 101 number 101 i think prospect just right on the cusp of being top 100 was i like i don't think he was a top rated center's class might have been number two center's class he was number one i thought yeah i think he's uh he's the real deal and listen too let me explain something about recruiting rankings not that you don't understand but maybe people don't recruiting uh, rankings are also predicated on where you might get drafted and if you're a center in high school, that is the uh, hardest place to get a five-star rating because centers aren't typically drafted in the first round. So right. when, you, when, you're, when you're ranking positions, and that's why five-star running backs, and, and we'll get to this with Trevion Henderson, are also rare because they, the people who are ranking these kids also take into account what position you play as it, as it relates to your rating. So like being a top 100 or fringe top 100 center is almost as good as being a five-star tackle, just based on the way the system works. And I don't know if people understand that. So, um, you know, that's a, a really good thing to to see. And it just seems like Ohio State's got two offensive lines that could win the Big Ten, and not only five of them are going to play. 
Yeah, and Ryan Day said a thing this week. I asked Ryan Day for the story I'm writing, like, just how do you feel about where you've taken, where, where how this room has grown in the two years? Because it did seem like, obviously, they had some stuff to figure out at quarterback, and Ryan Day be, became head coach. But I think beyond that, the most pressing question for him was, like, restocking the offensive line room, both in just, like, number of bodies and then also getting some better development there. And, and I think they have. Um, for for probably a, a few different reasons, but he, he said the other day when I asked him about it, like, oh, we're gonna we could potentially roll guys there. And every time a coach says the thing about potentially rolling guys in the offensive line, I roll my eyes because it doesn't doesn't seem realistic. And I'm not saying I believe it this year, but if like you were ever going to do it, I think you would do it with a group that looks like this that has m- multiple guys sort of in your depth that have started games, um, two returning starters, a tackle. Like there's probably seven or eight guys you would feel perfectly fine if they had to start. They are monthly. I think there's at least seven or eight it up guys. for everybody. Um, <laughs> I'm just making a joke, man. He's really good in Ohio State. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not. You know, I'm, but it is not like an anti-player comment. But you know, the context of it is that all you would need is one more spot and things would be fine. Like I mean, if if the starting offensive line was from left to right, Paris Johnson, Harry Miller. Wait, would it would Harry be left? Luke yeah. Whipler, Nick Petit Friere, and who'd be the right guard in that scenario? Like I don't know, Josh Fryer, Enoch Vumahi, maybe Ryan Jacoby. You know, I don't know. It's just a matter think, of whether or not to let. I mean, is there any possibility of Whipler starting off at guard too? Yeah, I think so. I think I think he was playing a little bit of guard last year. Um, just to kind of get familiar again, they they cross train a lot of guys. They 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 foster a lot of versatility in their offensive line room, which which feels a little different than than how it's been done in the past here. Uh, but I think is is beneficial to Ohio State in the long run because you can mix and match guys. Um, it it just makes you a little more um, uh, I don't know able able to absorb positional losses kind of across the line when you have tackles that can play guards, guards that can play center, centers that can play guard, guards that can play tackle. Like that's not. That's not a normal thing to have multiple guys you feel comfortable doing all that things, but it does feel like they have multiple guys that they feel comfortable doing all those things. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, how many positions on Ohio State's roster do they have too many good players at? I mean, all offensive them, line, quarterback, and receiver are absolutely – well, maybe those are the only three. I don't know. Running back looks kind of loaded. <laughs> I think running back is, like, last. Well, no, no defensive no, back might ends. be last. Tight, tight ends end. might be last. Tight ends I don't know. Running line. back has a lot of – Options. I don't know if it has a lot of stardom. Trey Henderson's going to be a star. Yeah. Um, Evan. I'm intrigued by Evan Pryor, and like I think Mayan Williams is legit. If you yeah. want to say like like Matt, like there's a ceiling to like Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers. Like I I agree with that. But I I like I like I love Mayan Williams. Yeah. If Mayan Williams was Ohio State starting running back and Trey Henderson was that, I don't know, Virginia Tech right now. Um, I'd feel pretty good about where Ohio State was. All right, that's fantasy land. He'd be at Alabama. I'm not saying to be be- like obviously there. Are I know what you're saying. Trey I get Henderson, what you're saying. I think yeah. I think Mayan Williams is good enough to be Ohio State's number one tailback if that was the world that Ohio State was living in. Sure, absolutely. You know, I I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to create a weakness so we have a podcast. You know, I don't know what you want from me. Well, the defense still exists. Yeah. Well, you didn't get to see the defense. Um, no, we- the way it was set up, it was it was much more. Uh, of, of an offensive uh, viewing day on Monday. All right, let me ask you this because I saw Twitter was exploding. I saw the videos that everybody saw. Is Trey Henderson just like a badass? Um, you know, not – yes, I think I think he is, but I don't think that's based off anything we saw in practice. Like everything we've – we've not seen him in pads. We've not seen him like do much contact. We've not. I don't think we've seen a running back take a carry in a competitive situation in the three times that we've been in there. Um, so if anyone's saying like Trey Henderson's a badass based off that, they're just saying he's a badass because they want to say that. Um, but the videos they put out, like when he lost his black stripe, um, and there was another couple highlights of, of him and Evan Pryor from practice, like his patience, um, his his lateral agility, his his explosion, his ability to to get back up to his top speed after making a cut, like it's all there. You, you saw it in, the, in his high school tape, and I think when you saw it in his high school tape, it was fair to wonder about the level of competition. 
and and maybe how much better that made him look when he was running away from literally everyone on the field and then you see clips of him in practice and he's doing some of the same stuff so yeah it's like it, i think everything about him is legitimate what's better ohio state's defense or the competition that he was facing in his high school Ohio State defense is, is too soon. Ohio, I I can confidently say that Ohio State's defense is better than what Trey Henderson was seeing as a high yeah. school junior in Virginia. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think that it's important because what Ohio State didn't want at the running back position is for this not to happen. Like I don't know if he's 100 percent the starter in my mind he is, but even if he's not, you need you needed this to happen so that you could push and find what you need to find at that position. Now I don't know. It's possible that. Ohio State's got four guys who carry the ball regularly next year, or they have one that carries the most. But, you know, he is as good as any recruit that Ohio State signed at the running back position. And the fact that he's lost his black stripe and has seemingly been making plays in practice, I think is a very good sign for a player that you needed to arrive as soon as possible. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. I wanted to get to something else, Bill, before we talk about the spring game. Um, and our producer, John Hayes, sent us this thing on Slack in the middle of our show to talk about it. And I think that um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how, how much stock you take into this. You, you see what I'm talking about? The <laughs> FBI uh, yeah, that ESPN came out. I don't know if these these charts are – are they real or is it just to get people like us to talk about it? But the top 10 preseason FBI is that football power index, which mm-hmm. I don't really know exactly how they come up with. What, what is the – explain to me what the football power index, other than the rudimentary thought that I have of just like rankings – I think it, it takes into account um, returning production, recruiting rankings, and how much you can piss off Ohio State fans on Twitter. Because Ohio State's <laughs> always like fifth or below on this every year, right? I always feel like yeah. every year everyone's like, oh my God, what the hell's going on here? Ohio State's way better than that. The FPI, taking in all the important metrics that matter um, for ESPN, number one, Alabama. Number two, Oklahoma. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Iowa State. Number five, Ohio State. Number six, Texas A&M. Number seven, Georgia. Number eight, Mississippi State. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Number ten, Penn State. So whatever this is, what let's what, do we talk about it? Like, what is this? Ohio State does have a hundred percent chance of getting six wins <laughs> in their projections. Um, I don't know what this is. I don't. I don't really ever know exactly how they do this maybe there's explainer somewhere on how they formulate this i do always feel like ohio state is a little lower than you'd anticipate them being um here you want me to read this i'm going to read this the football power index is a measure of team strength that is meant to be the best predictor of a team's performance going forward for the rest of the season fpi represents how many points above or below average a team is projected results are based on twenty thousand simulations of the rest of the season using fpi results to date and the remaining schedule ratings and projections are updated daily that's it um so like i if you say like ohio state's lower than you should be it's because i think their schedule is tough because they have oregon 
and they lose a lot of production because particularly Justin Fields is off to the NFL. So like Ohio State, like if you say Ohio State is like fifth in the country, which like they might be fifth in the preseason AP poll, I think that's probably where they'll be behind Alabama, Clemson, maybe Oklahoma, maybe like Georgia because everyone thinks JT Daniels is about to take off. Like I get that. I think that's fair. Um, it's just seeing Iowa State ahead of them is like what? <laughs> There's always one curveball with these graphics. Yeah, so it's like Purdy's coming back, so like that might be a major part of it. Yeah, no, it is, and but it's kind of with like Ohio State and their projections has a better chance of making the playoff, has a much better chance of winning its division, its conference. Um, so I don't know. Like in this projection, Iowa State has a zero percent chance. Oh, they don't have divisions. Never mind. I was going to say they don't have a zero percent chance of winning their division. But they don't have divisions. Um, if they had a percentage chance of winning their division in a league with no divisions, I'd be impressed. Um, it does give Iowa State a higher chance than Ohio State of winning the national championship, which uh, I am not on board with. So I don't know. I don't I, understand I, how they calculate that though, Bill, because Ohio State's got a higher odds of making the playoff. Yeah. I'm not, it doesn't, it doesn't really make, Ohio State number five makes sense to me. Ohio State number five behind Iowa State doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not something that you should get angry about. I think fans get angry about it every year. Uh, uh, not just this, but everything. Um, yeah. But it is kind of funny to like look at the projections on this website of like, what are the odds that you're going to win your conference? Ohio State's got a 53.7% chance of winning their conference. You think it's a coin flip? Of them winning the Big Ten? No. It's a coin flip. It's not a coin flip. Like sometimes, why I think is it a coin flip? Why stats don't, are. Some... I know that stats are an integral part of college football and determining things and all that stuff, but I think stats are so stupid because you just sixty-seven percent of stats are made up offhand. No, no, no. You you just twist them and you apply them to whatever you want to to do to prove your point. And it's just like what nobody would think and i think iowa state has got, probably got one of the best recruiting coordinators in college football and their coach is a genius in my opinion for what they were able to do but like there's a there's a limit <laughs> you know what i mean you, you i don't know it's insane but i want to look up um because uh one of my favorite bill Connolly, who works at espn now one of my favorite things he does every year is like list of returning production um for each team and iowa state is fourth in returning production for 2021 Louisiana's first, UCLA second, Miami's third, Iowa State is fourth. So like Iowa State, because of that, is going to be like a super trendy preseason top ten, top five pick. And clearly that's baked into these projections. But Ohio State's always at the bottom of this list and it never matters. Yeah. <laughs> because Ohio State just replenishes with four or five star prospects. So like this is the Alabama's always at the bottom of this list. Like this is the world these teams live in. Um but you know, when Ohio State's replacing a starting quarterback and it has legitimate questions about its defense. Um, and it has Oregon and as part of its non-conference schedule, I, I, I get it. I get, I get the doubt anyway. Um, but I, like, clearly I think Ohio state is better than Iowa state. I'm just trying to like, look at these numbers, Bill. And sometimes like they, in my mind, I guess I have a very rudimentary understanding of math, but in my mind, a lot of these numbers just contradict themselves. Yeah. So I don't trust computers, man. Yeah. The BCS is gone, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but it's just kind of an interesting dynamic when you, you try to, like, I, I don't put too much stock in things like this, but what I do put stock in is how these things shape the way people view the team. You know, and yeah. I don't know if, like, random fans are looking at this and think, well, I'm going to hit the Iowa State win over, win total over. Or is Ohio State down this year? Or is Texas A&M at number six going to be the team this year? Like, there's a lot here to unpack when you kind of start putting the numbers together and seeing, like, based on all the things that they take into account when making this list, how it kind of shapes the narrative of how people view the sport and the teams that are competing for a national championship this year. It's like Penn State has a uh, 10% chance of making the of winning the Big Ten. You know, I, I could think I could buy that, you know? Sean Clifford's still their quarterback. I don't know. Georgia has a 25% chance of winning the SEC. I think I could buy that. I could buy Georgia. Yeah. I think I I, I, I think I'll, I'll buy some of the JT Daniel stock so I can believe in that. Um, I'm not, I don't buy. Does Iowa State have a 30% chance of winning the Big 12? Uh, yeah. I don't, I mean, it seems reasonable, right? Texas in his first year with Sark, like we kind of like Oklahoma has Rattler back, and we kind of know what they're going to be. But 
yeah, I think that's a re- I think that's reasonable. Yeah, it's like funny to look at a list right now that says Iowa State's got a thirty percent chance of winning the Big Twelve, and Texas has a three percent chance. But you know, I guess that's the Big Twelve in twenty twenty one. Oklahoma's top 15 returning production, which is a pretty good spot to be in for a program like that. Yeah. Oregon's ninth, too, which probably factors into the Ohio State projection. Although, I don't... I have not done any research on Oregon because that game is not until September, but I don't know who Oregon's quarterback's going to be. Does Oregon know who their quarterback's going to be? I don't think... Uh, well, Tyler Shuck... Sh- he, yeah. he transferred, right? So, I don't... Yeah, I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Yeah. We can preview Oregon, you know, five months from now. Let's just preview it tomorrow. You know, okay. What, what do you have to lose? Is Panay Sewell still there? Is he? I don't know. No, he's not. He's, he's no, going I'm to kidding. the draft this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I so know. it's interesting. They have Ohio State, like, right on the cusp of projected 11 wins, which, like, I don't know. I think I'd probably pick Ohio State to go 11-1 and one next year. 11-1, and one, it seems to be, like, a reasonable, yeah. a reasonable thing. It will not be treated with reason when they lose, but eleven and one is a reasonable thing. I mean, it's only a matter of time before Ryan Day uh, loses a regular season game. I don't know if he's going to go a decade before that happens. So I think people need to start like baking in that into their into their expectations a little bit, you know. But Ty Thompson, the the top forty quarterback in Oregon's twenty twenty one class, might actually like wasn't he the reason or viewed as the reason partially that show transferred. Perhaps uh, well, we're not going to make this an Oregon podcast. Yeah. Just saying, they have, <laughs> it's know. possible that Oregon comes into week two against Ohio State with a freshman starter too. So, like, you know, I think that we're all kind of in the same situation. So, do you want to wrap this thing up here by talking about um, the thing that you're most excited about from the spring game? I was on Andy Staples' show on on Sunday because I'm plugging myself, and yeah, he um, called plays at the Florida State game and saw that uh, good story. Game it was a good story. Yeah, and it was it was really entertaining to listen to him talk about it but um i asked him on that show well we did two takes one where his microphone didn't work and then two when we had to do it again i can't remember if it made it in but one of the questions i asked him i think on the first time was how much do you take into account spring games as a metric for how these coaches are viewing things and i think it's so easy to like look at spring games and as fans it's our first chance to actually like look at the team and see the players that we're listening to and talking about for months actually perform but how much stock do you even put in the spring game in hopes in terms of determining the the production of who's going to potentially be the starter there like do you think it's even important or is it just kind of a spectacle for the fans i think it's mostly a spectacle like it's it's important um to an extent but we always make too much of it. like i remember justin field's first spring game like he didn't play particularly well and everyone's like oh justin field sucks ohio state's not gonna be very good next year and then like, justin fields threw 40 touchdowns and three interceptions and was awesome and was a heisman trophy finalist so like everyone always puts too much stock in, into spring games um at least in terms of like using it as like an instrument to predict success for the following season i i think that's that's always um a, a trap that people fall into and i and i I've done that in the past too, but I still think it can be informative. And like I remember, 2018 spring game when when it was Dwayne Haskins versus Joe Burrow. Like I came away from that game like very impressed with Joe Burrow. It was like sort of like he had played a little bit with when he was like a backup at Ohio State. Um, I don't think really did anything that that told people that he was going to be awesome someday. But I thought in that spring game, like you saw a little something from Joe Burrow that like, obviously I, I didn't come away thinking he's going to win the Heisman trophy, but I came away thinking like that guy is, is going to be a good quarterback somewhere. It's probably not going to be here, but he's going to be a good quarterback somewhere. And it's a shame. He's not going to get to play at Ohio state. Cause I think he could have a really good season. Dwayne Haskins played great. So it doesn't matter all that much for Ohio state, but I do think you can learn things about individual guys in the spring game, but I don't, I wouldn't use it as a, something that greatly informs your outlook for the following season. Um, because in the end, it's just a practice. It's the 15th of 15 spring practices, and they'll have 30 more before the season starts. Maybe this will be a good um, episode for next week, but like for you to rank the top 10 players from your vision of who you think has like made the most impact. But from what we were talking about before we started the show, apparently Marvin Harrison Jr. is a stud. Yeah, I'm excited to watch him. And, and the spring game, I don't know if Ohio State is going to tackle. Ryan Day said they're not sure yet. Um, I don't think like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to play a ton. And like if Chris Olave doesn't play at all, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, so I think that the young receivers are going to get a lot of run. And um, I think it'll be a good showcase for like Jackson Smith and Jigbin, Julian Fleming. Um, 
but Marvin Harrison, and I think he's taking advantage a little bit of the fact that Chris Olave has been out for a few practices. Um, he's taking advantage of the fact that G Scott is moving to tight end. And I think like Julian Fleming has been a little banged up this spring. He was not a full participant when we watched on Monday. So there's an opening there for Marvin Harrison. Who's like running with the twos. He, he was the second team X receiver behind Garrett Wilson. When we were watching practice on Monday. Um, and he really flashed it. Like he's, he's, He's big, so he stands out just from a physical standpoint, but he makes physical contested catches. Um, he's really smooth in his in his route running. Um, seems to have a pretty good understanding of the position for a guy who's who's only a freshman, and I guess that makes sense considering um, his bloodlines. But, you know, we, we all got super excited about Emeka Ibuka, and, and rightfully so, and he's also running with the twos at slot receiver behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. But um, I don't think anyone really expected, like, immediate impact from Marvin Harrison. And I'm not saying he's going to have it because remember 2016, Austin Mack like set the world on fire in spring ball and lost his black stripe really early, and everyone got really excited. And Austin Mack went on to have a fine career that was that was hindered a little bit by injuries, but it wasn't like a springboard for him to become a, a just like otherworldly receiver at Ohio State. So I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on some of this stuff. But he's hard not to notice when you're watching Ohio State out there. I'll say that. So now that we've gotten out of the way that the spring game doesn't matter, what are you most looking forward to seeing? Well, I still – I don't think they're going to show us a ton in terms of, like, schematics with the defense because um, why would they tip their hand in that way? They didn't do that in, in 2019 when they brought the new staff in and were changing the defense. It kind of just played pretty vanilla. But I do want to watch these corner – like, I want to watch Ryan Watch try to cover Chris Olave for a few snaps because I, I want to know what they have a corner behind Seven Banks and Cam Brown. I want to watch Legend Cavazos and Cam Martinez, like all these young defensive backs who we've never seen really do anything, play in a competitive setting where they're in pads and, and maybe they're tackling and it's and it's full contact. And, you know, for, for it's football for the most part. It's real football. We haven't seen those guys play any since they've been on campus. So, um, I, I like if I was ranking like my top ten players I want to watch in a spring game, I think like five of them would be like first and second year defensive backs. Um, and, and obviously, obviously the is somebody that we haven't talked much a lot about on this yeah. podcast because we talked a lot about Cam Martinez, but he's like super fascinating to me. Incredible athlete, like his testing numbers were were um, kind through of roof. through the roof a little bit coming in as as a freshman. I think he had some injury stuff last year. I think he's probably a guy who who got smacked in the face of reality just a little bit. And it was hard for all these players, too, because of the, the weird year that, that was 2020. Um, but from a pure athletic standpoint, like I don't, he's probably one of the top five or six athletes on the team, I would think, just based off some of the testing numbers he had in high school. So this is going to be a big opportunity for him because we you know like Seven Banks and Cam Brown aren't going to play. Um, Maybe Tyree Johnson plays a lot as, as an older guy, but I think there this is going to be an extended viewing period, not only for us to get eyes on on these young defensive backs, but for the coaching staff, too, to learn a little something more about how these guys perform. There's going to be 20,000 people in the stands, not a full Ohio Stadium, but it's going to be a different setting than anything they've experienced up until this point. So um, I think I think it will be a little revelatory in, in that respect. I think we will, we can learn something about – if not, if not the defense as a whole and like what the scheme is going to look like, at least some of the individuals and, and kind of how the, the individual positions in the secondary are stacking up right now. Yeah. I mean, I think the only answer is probably defensive back. I mean, I want to see Trey Henderson run. I don't know how much, you know, hitting is going to be a thing. I mean, depending. Yeah, on, that's what's. Are they still I deciding hope, that right now? Because like it seems to me that they're still deciding whether or not they're actually going to hit each other. Yes, that's that's what Ryan Day said on on Monday. Um, he said they're going to try to split it up, Scarlet and Gray, two separate teams, and play like a real game for a half at least. And then in the second half, um, and maybe even before the second half, they'll probably pull all the veterans and kind of have a mismatch of guys out there and just try to do some like controlled scrimmage environments for the second half. I'm sure it'll be running clock. Um, I don't know. Like we've seen spring games in the past where they don't tackle at all; they only only, only tackle for like one drive. Um, I I do hope they go fully live for like at least a couple drives with Trey Henderson in there because I don't think you're going to get the full Trey Henderson experience unless someone unless he knows he's going to get tackled, you know. Um, so I, I hope we get to see that. I'm not I'm I'm not optimistic that we're going to see that, but you know if if we do, then then I think that the spring game becomes a little something more than than I'm anticipating. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it, you know, and then seeing it, you know, just to kind of get a bearings on on where things are at with this team, but. You know, it's kind of the case every spring. Questions to answer, talent is there. You know, I, it was the same yeah. exact kind of dynamic that we had last year when we were previewing the team, you know. And as we start to see some of these 
holes get filled and some of the talent and the faces that's going to be replacing some of the talent that they lost, we can start to kind of identify whether or not this team's a legitimate national championship contender. Now, you know, based on what I think right now, I would be surprised if they won the national title this year, but certainly expect them to make the playoff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm interested. There there are some areas on this team that I think like could be deficiencies, and I'm mostly thinking about linebacker. There's like you watch them at practice; they are so thin at linebacker. There's like hardly anybody out there because Dallas Gann and Mitchell Melton are out. They were already kind of low on numbers to begin with, um, so it's like they have like four guys, four or five guys a linebacker, um, and I think you got to be careful with like keeping those guys healthy. And I'm not going to be surprised at all if they go and find a transfer, or maybe even more than one transfer at the linebacker position because their numbers are so low right there, but. The numbers are really concerning at linebacker, and I'm very curious to see how those guys play in the spring game. Now, I don't know if it's going to be a great showcase for them because of the stuff we said about contact and, and throwing mm-hmm. the ball a lot. But um, that is uh, that position is more concerning to me now than it was going into the spring, only because when you see it on the field and just kind of like how few guys there are and then how none of them have played really all that much, it's, it's a pretty stark dose of reality. Yeah, so this defense kind of has a lot to prove, huh? They do indeed. So, well, thank you so much for listening to Four to Six with B. Um, hopefully, the A will come back next week. Um, we had a winner uh, reach out to you in the um, the NCAA tournament pool that we did, and uh, Lord knows what direction it's going to be taken when he gets to determine what we talk about. But I'm super excited to look at that. I'm excited to break down the spring game. I'm excited to actually watch it and contribute my thoughts uh, on the next show. Uh, but, Bill, you're, you're a hell of a, an analyst, and I'm happy that you're here. Thanks, man. Shout out to Rudy Fink, our, our tournament pick and winner. We're going to have him on um, sometime after the spring game. But, yeah, Rudy, Rudy has been in touch. We've yeah, talked you know a little Rudy bit. Is. And he's got, he's got, you know, Rudy, he's got some ideas. He's got, he got some interesting ideas about what we can do on the show. So I'm excited to, get to have him on here after the spring game. Cool. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Oh, 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 oh,